problem with okay i'll do you want to just jump in and we'll just we'll sort of uh we'll do yeah we'll do, hang on let me i feel like we can use this okay let me look through my question bag here yeah we haven't done q a we've had a few kind of trickle in one of them is very technical so we don't have to get into that uh, it's more like an seo thing i don't know if that's super interesting but here's a good one so oh and remember you can you can ask nick and i questions I don't know if we're always the best people to answer, but we, we've got some opinions on some things. Uh, yeah. You can ask us at, at PencilPod on Twitter, at hello at PencilProblems.com, or, uh, you know, yeah, maybe we'll get a call-in number one day, but for now, those are the only two places. So, uh, listener the, number... Oh, what's that? Dude, sorry, before we jump into this, I just yeah. wanted to shout out this Jeremy Black and Kate Smalley again, who... Uh, or random fans, it's still crazy. It's super I know, crazy, right? I know. Like, it really was a weird, it was a weird feeling to, okay, maybe we're showing our hands a bit here that we don't really have the tens of thousands of listeners that we say we do. Um, <laughs> but it was it was very surreal to see two people talking about something that we haven't advertised and we really don't talk about. <laughs> Um, yeah, randoms, randoms. Randoms. I mean, you guys are yeah. random. We have no idea who you are, Kate and Jeremy. Yeah. I've, I don't think I've yeah. ever met you two. And yeah. I'm so happy about that. So um, it's, it's yeah, making incredible. Yeah, I, I haven't eaten this week because that alone has fed my, my ego for the whole week. <laughs> so I've been super keto this week, just f- feeding off that one Twitter conversation. I, um, I'm still convinced. They're, they're bots run by one of your, like, like yeah. your friend Al or something. Probably I'm, by I'm this person sure. who, I will not name the name of the person who asked this, but this, this question comes from a long-time okay. listener. And okay. uh, I'm going to potentially even say listener number three, maybe okay. two, but probably three. And okay. hang on, let me uh, actually get, get the question. Okay, so the question says, Hey guys, have you ever worked with somebody who's be- who's beneath you who thinks who you think is trying to undermine you? If so, how would you deal with that situation? Hmm. So what, what is what is undermine? Like what? So what, what would you what would you say that means? I think what it means is you've got someone on your team who thinks they know more than you do. And might be actively trying to sway the team to a either a direction that's not the direction you've set, or sowing seeds of dissent amongst the team. Mm. That that makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of people under me, and under me is like a weird thing to say, but a lot of people on my team, I think, know more than I do about different things. And sure, but, I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. In, in some ways, I kind of want to empower them to to like, yeah, if you like, I want you to shine. Mm, no, no, like, no, no. I don't think that's it. I think it's like, okay, so imagine that you have, um, let's say that you, it's a good example. Um, okay, they're, you're, so Spin, you know, acquires uh, Sego. And okay. while you were at, Sego, your boss, your CEO told you, hey, you know, we're eyeing you up for, you know, we're, we're going to officially make you the, the, the CPO. You're going to go C-level here. You're going to go CPO. And um, 
And then all of a sudden this stuff happens. And then Spin is like, no, we're going to bring in an outside CPO. And then okay. they bring in this outside CPO. And you talk to them for a few weeks. And you're kind of like, I don't know if this person knows what they're talking about. I don't know if I believe mm-hmm. their experience. Like, you know, like you kind of just have this feeling mm-hmm. like maybe you know more than this person. I think mm-hmm. for you to undermine them would be if they say, hey, everyone, here's the direction we're going. You're the one in the meeting who's publicly challenging them, who's privately conspiring and being like, come on, guys, like, do we really think this is the right thing to do? Like, come on, this is bullshit. Like, we shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing this. Like, we should be. Mm-hmm. And then you as the leader are having to fight this potentially disrespectful open battle with somebody at meetings or stand-ups. Like, okay, everyone, so, you know, we agreed that we're going to make this game. Okay, uh, Nick, sorry. Um, why, like, why Why did we decide to make that game instead of this one? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Like, can you just explain again okay. why, okay. like, you really think this is such a good idea? And it's like, okay, really? We're going to do this in public? Um or mm. again, privately, they're like, guys, I'm telling you, I have a friend who works at Sheep and Fox or whatever. They tried to make a game like this. It sucks. Nobody wants to pay $50 for a sleeping app. Um, like, we should not Camel, be doing Camel, this. Bro. You know, I don't know. I feel like that's, it's more of a, it's a much more, okay. like, it's a toxic thing. Like, you, you might have someone on your team who's toxic. Mm. I don't, okay, well, do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. I kind of well first I don't I don't like that if it's in the back channels. I think that's that's terrible. So I think you want to like snuff that out and have like a one-on-one conversation. I for first and foremost, I think that's the most important thing. But also to just understand um the other person's point of view more because I think oftentimes and this 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 often happens. It's just that there's so many things going on and if someone if i'm if say you know i'm questioning somebody or someone's questioning me it also might just be because me or that person or whatever just doesn't fully understand the problem or what we're trying to do and the angle that this person might be taking so i i would just have a one-on-one conversation and just try to explain my point of view or why i'm trying to reason things this way or why um or try to understand why they think it's a bad idea um, because it, they could be right too. Like I could totally be wrong and that that's, that's fine. But I think it's important to have that conversation. I think it's more, it just compounds the problem if you don't confront the situation yes. and then you just, you know, then you get some weird resentment on the team. Other people start talking and then it just becomes weird. It's kind of like you're, you're in like a high school, um, a cafeteria and there's about to be a fight. Like everyone's like egging everyone on. Like, you know, it's just a weird tension in the room. Um, so yeah, I'd rather just diffuse the situation by just having a conversation, just trying to understand the point of views. That's, that's kind of what I would do. So what do you do if they try to undermine you publicly? Do you, do you challenge them publicly? Do you let it go and then privately talk to them? Do you, do you kind of need to assert some, not dominant, well, kind of dominance? Like, do you need to sort of be like, no, Jim, we... Remember, we had that meeting. We all agreed that we're going with A. If you've got questions, I'm happy to talk about them after the meeting. But like, let's keep folk. Like, do you do you kind of correct it mm. in public, or do you just kind of make a note of it and then pull Jim aside, you know, later on and say, 
hey, mm. that was kind of disrespectful, I, I, or I, I think you're, I think you're, you know, it, it doesn't sound like you're on board with this project. Can we talk about yeah. why? Um, I, like, I, I, I feel like the right thing to do is to pull the person aside after. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily do that, but uh, would you challenge them in the meeting? No, if they're challenging me, I would. I wouldn't necessarily back down from that. Right, right. You're I not going to, yeah. I would respond in terms of like my, my point of view in that room at that moment. Um, but do you let yourself get triggered? I, I think is like the, like, do you, no, like if, if you sense disrespect, do you try to publicly quell it so that you're sending a message saying, I know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm confident. I'm the leader. I'm going to make, I, I'm, I've made a decision. Um, or do you like, you know, like, um, cause yeah, I think, but I, I, I think, I think you can call it without being confrontational though. Yes. I how would you, you do can, that? Um, you could, you could, for example, like play it off as a joke mm. in a way. Like you could, you could, you could kind of, I, I guess it depends on what's being said, but I think you could sometimes play it off as a joke or you throw a joke back to kind of not necessarily punk the person, but you you would throw a little jab just to kind of kill it right there without having a full on argument, um, or 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 you would yeah or I the, the right move is probably to just eat it and have a conversation after. Mm. That's probably the, the the more responsible thing to do, I think. But I, I don't know what would what would you do? Um, yeah, good question. I think that. I think I'm, I, it depends on how, it depends on where I think it's coming from. And I think you have to do that on a case by case basis. If you think it's yeah. a personal attack in that the person doesn't think you are fit to lead, which I think some mm -hmm. undermining can come from. I've seen this happen with developers a lot where you have a, let's say a, an engineering manager or a team lead who is arguably a much better leader, but might not have the same technical grasp as a lot of the the frontline engineers. And then mm. they'll be talking about something technical and someone will almost try to embarrass them with either something they said that's not quite right or throw some crazy esoteric programming thing at them. And a lot of times I think that does come from that person saying it either wants their job, thinks that they would do a better job, or doesn't think they need that person. Like, we don't need this team lead. We're smart enough to get by without this team lead. And mm. they're a waste of, of, a, of a body here. Like, just, mm. you know, give us the requirements and we'll go cold. This is just an example, but I've seen something like this happen before. And mm -hmm. in that case, I think it's you, you do, in a way, need to publicly bite back a little and say mm -hmm. um uh, and again i'm not sure because it is so context dependent but i i think that you you lose you you run the risk of for lack of sounding like a total you know alpha dominance hierarchy cliche mm -hmm. you run the risk you run the risk of looking weak in front of your team and you do need to mm -hmm. instill confidence in them that you are willing to make decisions stand by those decisions and essentially not get bullied into flip-flopping because mm -hmm. somebody thinks they're smarter than you. So I do think you need to, in, in the most polite way, 
nip back and say, no, actually, that's not, I, I don't think that's quite right. And I'm confident in this decision. And it sounded like we all were on Tuesday. So I'm not sure what's changed, Jim. Why don't you and I talk afterwards? Uh, maybe there's something I'm not seeing, but we have a lot to get done today and we really need to keep moving on. So let's just power mm-hmm. through this and, you know, mm-hmm. and you're yeah. at least acknowledging that, like, that there's some dissent, some, you're, but you're saying, no, like, I'm, I'm not shaken by what you're saying. I'm still confident mm-hmm. that we're going forward. And hey, let's have a chat about this. Um, or, and then I, you know, or, or, or you can also even just throw it to the room too, right? Like you can just say, that's interesting. That's an interesting point. And uh, I don't know, what, what is everyone else thinking in the room? Yeah, that's a and good point. And then it becomes like, it becomes a discussion, right? But, but, um, now, but now what if that, it could also turn, if you don't, if you haven't read your team or if you're not as, as aware as you should be, Mm-hmm. What if it actually starts to then turn and you realize, oh, I'm maybe these people aren't on side with this, you know, but that but that that's OK, because if you have the discussion and you find out you're wrong, I think the team will still respect that you were able to flip to the right decision. Yes, you right? hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you're you're force feeding the wrong decision. Everyone, everyone in the room thinks it's the wrong decision and you're kind of force feeding that. Well, and, and, and I think in some ways. Yeah, I think what well, I think and you also really hit the nail on the head. So to listener number three, I think a lot of those feelings of if you think someone's undermining you, you really have to check yourself and make sure that it's not you're not projecting your own lack of confidence onto the room. So if you're not confident with what you're doing, then mm-hmm. it's easy to read other people seeing that lack of confidence, even though they're almost just feeding off of your lack of confidence. If that makes sense. So I think that um, you need to remember that if you're doing your job right, you should be hiring smarter people than you underneath you. Like yeah. your team should be better at every piece of their job than you are. And what you're good at is removing blocks, seeing the bigger picture, keeping people focused making sure people understand why they're doing the things they're doing, that they have a, a meaning for what they're doing, that they can see mm-hmm. the bigger picture, that they you can keep them motivated. Um, and because you have and, that bigger picture, yeah. you can you can make connections that they might not be seeing in, in a more limited yeah. kind of a, of a scope, right? And, and it's good that they're, they're challenging you. It means that they, they care enough to challenge you or they care enough and about and the product to, to do that, right? Right. And I think that as long as it's, and if it's not being respectful, if it's literally being like you're being interrupted, they're using bad language or they're, they're clearly, their body language is saying, I don't respect you. Then that's a totally different, then you're in like a, Mm. that person may just be like a toxic kind of culture fit and you probably shouldn't uh, keep that stuff around. But uh, there was one other point I wanted to make on the, oh, I think the, the, like you said too, asking questions. And this is something that when I remember to do it, I always walk out of a meeting feeling like I've just nailed it. When somebody has an idea and even though your knee-jerk reaction is that's a terrible idea or Mm -hmm. that's never going to work or just saying, oh, that's really interesting, Jim. Like, why why do you think we should um, implement that in Redis instead of Postgres? Mm -hmm. And just let them either prove to you that they are right or talk themselves mm-hmm. into a hole and realize that they haven't really thought through what they're what they're mm-hmm. thinking, you know? Mm-hmm. And either way you win because if 
if they're trying to just be a jerk and they haven't thought through it, then that shows and they might, you know, be like, oh man, maybe, man, maybe I need to kind of do my homework before I do that again next time. Um, mm -hmm. Or if they've got a great point, you get to learn and be like, oh, that's a very, that's a very valid point. Maybe we should be using, you know, yeah, yeah, Postgres yeah. instead of Reddit. Yeah. Um, so I, asking, I, I think know, asking I, a lot of questions. And I, I will say too, like if they're being a total like jerk in the room, like the rest of the room knows that too. And you sometimes you just don't have to say anything. Right. And, and don't go back into the mud, like stay, take yeah. the high ground. Don't take the high ground, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be like, oh, well, remember last week when you fucked up the deploy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's probably not a good, <laughs> that's probably not a good idea. But then, um, you know, it's also like when, if they're being talked, if they're being kind of um, conniving in different ways and they're, they just generally hate you or something and they're going behind your back and doing different things, not just in a meeting situation, and they're spreading rumors or I don't know, other things, then I, I think that's a whole other kind of conversation. Agreed. And I don't even know what, what I'd do in that situation. Yeah, hopefully you don't hire that person to begin with. Um, yeah. Well, it's kind of like you were saying before, before we started recording, like you're hiring um, you're hiring a bunch of people now. Like how do you, do yeah. you, do you ask culture questions? Or sorry, or yeah. do you, well, what or kind of they, questions do you ask to tease out if they'd be a culture fit? Um, I don't know. It's just I, I think it's just like a feel thing, like with the conversation, right? But it's funny because a lot of people ask me, tell me about the culture at Sago, and everyone asks me, and I know that it's coming, but I never actually prepare a proper answer for it. <laughs> you don't um, have like a canned answer. I don't really have a canned answer, um, hmm. but there, there's, uh, you know, obviously like we, it's pretty, it's generally like a really good like work-life balance. And I, I just tell this anecdote of, of how uh, I came from a AAA background and like working like uh, at EA and how people would work like crazy hours. What's a AAA? But not, what do you mean by AAA? Uh, sorry, um, just like, um, like, like, um, it, I guess it's like a like a game that that is uh, high high production. I guess cost and and value. I guess I, I don't know. I just always refer to like anything with from a big studio to be triple A. Like like triple like A as in like um, like like uh, like in hockey, like a triple A team better than a than a house league team. Triple uh, A. I'm googling this right now. Triple A is a classification term used for games with the highest development budgets oh. and levels of promotion. Oh, okay. So it's like specifically for games. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry, um, go on. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, I don't know if it's. I don't know. If it's just specifically for games, but in you use this term a lot in the in the game industry. Um, but anyways, I. But you work at a place like EA, and everyone works crazy hours, and it's not that I didn't. It's it's a bad thing. Like I actually really enjoyed it at the time. But that was part of the culture there, and you, you, everyone just like works on the weekends. You work until like seven or something, eight o'clock. And I remember when I first started working with the crew at Sago, um, you know, people would go home like five, five thirty, and I'm like, oh, okay. So is everyone coming home, coming back here after dinner? Because I'm just used to like working till like nine o'clock or something, right? Wow, yeah. Um, but it's but it, but it's just different, and everyone just goes super hard, but people kind of burn out, and. Um, you know, they, they cycle like new people, new bodies in like all, all the time. And, um, but it's, it's, it's good in the way that you kind of build camaraderie with a lot of your, 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 uh, peers, because it feels like you just go to war with these, these people. And I think I talked, we talked about this on the podcast before, but, um, 
so it's not that the culture is better or worse it's just different and uh but i, I was actually curious to ask you about um about working at tilt and a, like a startup startup because i've never actually worked in a startup startup environment mm-hmm. and i wonder what the culture of that is kind of like interesting uh, yeah gosh um a lot to be said about that. I mean, do you mean? Um, well, okay. So, tilt was an interesting. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll kind of give you the the. So, I, I mean, I really had two. So, I was number. I was employee number seventeen at Top Hat, which mm-hmm. is now like I don't know hundreds. I think like a couple mm-hmm. hundred people now, and um, but a very Canadian startup in that you know very. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very frugal, very cheap, very um, everything was, and like very late nights, um, young managers, people doing the job for the first time, just very uh, people being promoted and, and shifted jobs. And I started off as a as a software manager, ended up running product marketing, ended up running, um, uh, being on uh, on like a sales enable. Like I, I would just. I, whatever needed to get done, people would kind of figure out how to get done, which was super fun mm-hmm. and exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but, but the culture was kind of bad in that it was just very, um, our CEO just at that time just didn't have the leadership to really motivate. And um, there was a lot of pissing matches between executives and um, a lot of churn, a lot of uh, mm-hmm. just, just, just kind of like what you were almost describing, like, burnout just people getting burnt out and um not really even learning from mistakes like we'd have bad release after bad release and then it was kind of like stockholm syndrome like we just think it would get better the next time and then it never got better and um Mm. but then you know some good executives started some better executives started to get hired that started to really shore up the leadership and then the business started getting healthier and a lot of those problems took care of themselves to the point where now the friends I have that are still there, it's just a totally different company. Like they've kind of ridden mm. out that uh, they, they've they've shed off the shit and are really becoming a, a phenomenal company, right? Um, right? Whereas like Tilt was very different in that. So started by uh, a devout Muslim and a devout Christian. So that's interesting in and of itself, both from Texas. Mm. So. <laughs> um interesting okay like the 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 some of the moral things we did at top hat were always a little questionable i was allowed to wear mm-hmm. my gray hat ver- virgining on, on black hat a little more <laughs> um whereas like tilt was pretty pretty white i mean it was gray sometimes like we would do some you know looking back like okay maybe we shouldn't have you know done that but nothing yeah. even close to black hat and i remember mm-hmm. um our ceo wanted to build a so everybody got the book um oh god what they call it uh good to great and yeah. it's you know this famous book by jim collings about all these businesses who've been on the s p 500 for more than 50 years and trying to reverse engineer how does a company survive for 50 years and you know a lot of confirmation bias and lessons you can pull from that. But uh, James um, Bashara, the CEO, and, and Khaled really believed that Tilt was going to be around for 100 years. That's how they were building mm-hmm. the company. And talking about interview questions, one of their main interview questions was, how lucky are you? 
on a scale of one to 10. So I'm curious, actually, if I asked you that, uh, if I said, Nick, uh, how lucky would you say you are on a scale of one to 10? What, what would you answer? Lucky in terms of my just in life, like, no, no, just in life. Like if, if I just said to you, huh. Hey, like, Nick, if you had to say how lucky you are in life, like, what would you, what number would you give? Maybe like a eight, eight and a half. <laughs> okay. And why, yeah. why, why eight and a half? Well, well, just even born, being born in like Canada, being born in a good, like a good situation, uh, having a decent job, having, I don't know, like family, ha- having a good support system. Um, you know, not, 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 you know, I have, I have some, some semblance of money that I'm not like living like hand to mouth. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, that's a great, great answer. I'm in general, general good health. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you would have passed. So, um, and, and again, very startup-y like James. Okay. So, and sorry, take a step back. Tilt was a Y Combinator, uh, company. So, a lot of their... So actually, actually but, but, but before you go on, like um, when you say Y Combinator, for those who don't know... Oh, yes, yes, like, sorry. Okay, could so... you... Because like, I, I was curious too. Like I, I read about this stuff, but I... Could you describe it? Like were you, were you there for the Y no. Combinator pitch? No, no, I was not okay. there. So, okay, Tilt was started by... Um, so James had this idea. He saw Kickstarter and he said, I want to put Kickstarter on a mobile phone. That That's what I want to do. I want to let people run... So this is before GoFundMe. I mean, really his original idea was like a GoFundMe. <laughs> um, okay. And the idea of like, I, I don't, I want to like start something, but I, I don't want to be that serious about it. Like maybe all I want to start is like raising money for like a local barbecue that I'm having with my friends. I don't, first of all, Kickstarter won't even let me do that because it's not an art project. So you couldn't use Kickstarter. Indiegogo was kind of starting and they probably wouldn't have even let you do that. They would have kicked you off. So it's this idea of how can I take a personal Kickstarter and um, and I want to do it from my phone. This should not take a long time. I should be able to do this in five minutes. So that was his y- YC application. Y Combinator is a very famous incubator in Silicon Valley where you get a, a very modest amount of money. You know, uh, No one really knows anymore, but let's say Back then, it was probably between ten and thirty thousand dollars. They give you, they let you move to San Francisco. They give you a place to stay, and you essentially get to work with these amazing mentors. So, I mean, Airbnb was in Tilt's cohort. Uh, Dropbox was just before um, Reddit. Um, a lot of much, really. F- how, how, how much money uh, are you guys talking about here? So it's, it's like, a kind of like fifty yeah. k. So, so you have 50K, you have these mentors at your disposal. disposal. Yep. And you have a very tight, you have three months. So you have three months to get an MV, a minimum viable product mm-hmm. and you demo at Demo Day, which was just a few mm-hmm. days ago um, for the recent batch. And we're actually going to have one, mm-hmm. of, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the Y Combinator, uh, a company called Open Phone who just went through YC. So we'll actually get to talk about that in more depth, hopefully in the next few weeks. Um, but... Uh, and essentially the who's who of the investing world go to this demo day and really you this is your shot i mean it's like american idol where you've made it to the finals and now you're 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 performing in front of very wealthy famous people and if you impress them enough to get a meeting chances are you're going to get a, a, a seed round or a series a so mm. tilt um did uh, impress and they they raised a series a and then um, 
they subsequently raised a, a Series B from Andreessen Horowitz, which is a very big, probably the biggest mm-hmm. VC. Um, and that really put us on the map where it was like, hey, Andreessen Horowitz is putting a flag in fintech, which was what we were, you know, financial tech. And it's this thing mm-hmm. called CrowdTilt at the time. We, we then changed their name to Tilt. So we were valued at one point over a billion uh, dollars. I think cl- like 999 or 98 million wow, or something really? like that. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, and that of that led to a culture, a very stereotypical Silicon Valley culture. So the big joke we had was when the TV show Silicon Valley uh, mm-hmm. came out, they, the first episode, they talk about buying this coconut water and it's like $6 a bottle. And they were buying, <laughs> this guy was buying cases of it, even though yeah. his house was really small. That was the same coconut water that we had cases and cases and cases of at the office. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, like, it was a very different kind of a culture. But what was so cool about it and why I was so drawn to it was our founders were very moral, ethical they wanted to win, but they wanted to win the right way. They believed in helping people. They believed in empowering people. And a lot of that came from their religious roots. So going back to that luck question, I'll never forget uh, one of my good friends, uh, Matt Himmel, who is now the one of the, a VP at Drop, which is a great startup in Toronto. Um, you know, I was in the room when he interviewed and I could hear him. He was in the a little conference room. And here's a guy, he was a Davies lawyer. So Davies is a big law firm in Canada, one of the top law firms, one of the six sisters or something like that, very famous law firm in Canada. He's this powerhouse lawyer there on the up and ups, probably going to on the partner track, hating his life, quits his high lawyer job and decides to go work in a startup and take a huge mm-hmm. you know, pay cut. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it gets to the luck question. And he's like, ah, probably like a two, maybe a one or a two. And then he starts going in how he's had to like work for everything in his life and how he he works. So because he thought they wanted to they wanted to hear like, Lucky, are you kidding me? I'm a made I'm a self-made, you know, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas because of their kind of religious roots, no, the answer is just like you said, you're born in Canada. You, you know, you're not. Yeah, you have parents that love you. You're already a nine out of ten. Um, yeah. And um, anyway, so that was kind of the 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 people culture. Um, and because I was in their satellite Toronto office, it, we we adopted a lot of that uh, mm-hmm. that that same kind of style. But we every time I'd go to San Francisco, and I went quite a bit. I probably went. I don't know, you know, once every five weeks kind of an idea. Um, it was a very, you know... Uh, Super know. bro-y. Was it kind of bro-y? It was a little very, bro-y, right? Yeah, very bro-y because we were dealing with college yeah. fraternities a lot. So very yeah, bro-y. Yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, but it was just... I mean, I would go there and now I'm kind of weird. I wouldn't get an Airbnb. I slept in the office. Um, I... Like when I'm traveling for work, I, I'm there for work. Like I'm not there to, yeah. I, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm and, I, and I work all the time. Like I work, you know, 20 hours a day when I'm there. Um, 
but everybody worked like that. So it was one of those environments where people were, you know, maybe in at 10 or 11 in the morning, but they'd stay till 9 or 10, 11 at night. And they'd be like playing Super Smash Bros and Mario Kart. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah. Every, every night there'd be drinking and barbecues and video games and um, like, you know, people would invite their friends over, like uh, their husbands and wives would come and like just eat dinner because we had. And, and like, know. and like EA was like that too. Like they had like such crazy facilities there. Like you yeah. had like a, like a full on soccer field. You had like an NBA size like basketball court. You had like lunch and dinner there arcades exactly. so much stuff yeah, right exactly but you kind of live there right and, yeah and and that's encouraged and, yeah and so everyone kind of works like crazy but i i understand I, I realize you know um when i say like sago has a good work-life balance but it's it's also i think built like that because it's built to kind of sustain a little bit more because i feel like that kind of lifestyle it's not sustainable but it also I feel is indicative of this like high stakes game that you guys are playing because like, Oh like, yeah. Just, just, just to rewind, you were saying like you guys are at one point were worth like $900 million. Well, value like, that, value that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Value that 900 million. That's in, insane. And it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. But how, how do you guys even, so how do you even get a valuation of something like that? Is it just based off of your projected growth numbers? Like, your growth numbers as of today and what it could be like 10 years from now is it based based off like your i don't know i guess you guys define a few key metrics and that's how it's based off of like how, how do you guys get to that yeah and i can't remember i'm i'm not going to quote actual numbers now because i honestly I, <laughs> I forget some of them um yeah and some of them i probably shouldn't say but so we we had a few very important metrics that investors look at to uh, mm-hmm. at our uh, in our advantage we had definitely hockey stick like growth, so mm-hmm. bordering on just exponential, or it wasn't exponential, but it was, it could have easily gone exponential mm-hmm. um, because we had network effects. So the the app was definitely better if you had your friends on, and um, mm-hmm. and, it, and so then people got their friends on. So. That was really good. That we had that going for us. The the reason why the valuation got so high was they, in a very smart way, the 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 management team made a decision to grow internationally mm-hmm. very quickly. So now we can talk about why maybe they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have in a way done that. But mm-hmm. at the time when we were really in our in our kind of swing, really about six months or so, five months after I got hired. I mean, we had uh, an office in Toronto, we had an office mm-hmm. in London, we had an office mm-hmm. in Australia, and we were launched in Canada, Australia, we were launching in France and, and the UK, and we were obviously in the US, and our growth numbers in Canada and Australia were very strong. And mm-hmm. the this, think of that story, you go into an investor meeting, and you're like, oh, by the way, not only are we growing in the U.S., but we have a Canadian office that's growing. We have a, a, an Australian office that's growing. We have a, a London mm-hmm. office that's just about to start. Like, all of a sudden, people start to look at that and say, wow. Like, So, okay, there's this really interesting phenomenon with VC-backed companies. And it's it's a kind of – I'm kind of talking out of my ass right now because I'm not 100% sure this is mm-hmm. true, but I'm going to kind of assume it is. So if you've been following what's happening with like Tesla right now, how mm-hmm. there's these crazy fluctuations, private. right? 
Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, this is kind of a, maybe a bad comparison because that's a public company. Okay. But yeah. what's happening is, as an investor, you have to look at Tesla and say, okay, I don't even really think they deserve this or they deserve this valuation. Mm-hmm. But they seem to be growing in these key areas faster than other mm-hmm. companies are. So if I'm going to make a bet on this market, like if I'm going to put my money in electric cars, mm-hmm. um, I don't even like Elon Musk and I don't even really like what he's doing. But if I just give him more money, that might be what's actually holding him back. Like he might actually be limited right now by money and he can mm-hmm. solve his problems with money. So I'm just going to keep giving him more money. And this is mm-hmm. what happens with Uber. Like Uber is not cash cash positive, but they've raised over a billion dollars because people keep looking at their growth and they're like, oh, you guys just still need more money. And that's why they keep giving them mm-hmm. more and more money. So we were in that same boat where we, were, we weren't making money, but we were putting up enough numbers where it was, we were able to tell investors and not trick them. Like it was a real story. Like, look, we just need more money. So like in Canada, we were growing by word of mouth, university by university. And Mm -hmm. it was very easy for us to paint a picture to an investor to say, we need to be on, you know, every TV. Like we need to buy Mm -hmm. national TV ads. We need to, you know, sponsor the Toronto Maple Leafs. We need to like, because we're already growing by word of mouth. We just need an extra $50 million into this market. And we'll take the entire market in, in a year. And the banks won't even know what hit them. We'll but but it's kind of it, it, it's it's kind of crazy that you guys would just paint you guys because when you're talking to investors you're essentially just painting a picture it's of all like, talk it's all talk of, and of, it's, of like potential right now but it's also you got to remember though it's backed by mm-hmm. um so every VC has analysts and they have third party um, yeah third party so, so I mean like the you hear about like due diligence <clears throat> so when we'd be in, when we'd be raising money. Oh man, like our like my boss who was our head of growth, I mean, they would just grill they would send you an email with 50 questions and your the 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 way in which you answered and proved your answers with data that they could objectively verify would make or break whether or not you were going to get an investment or not. I mean, it's not just like, like would, would, would their analysts actually go into like your mix panel or whatever and look oh, at yeah, yeah, what yeah, for your sure. MAU, DAU is and all yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. For sure. We'd give them access to our databases and uh, I mean, not everybody. You'd have to you'd have yeah. to get serious enough in the conversation, sign your life away from a contract NDA perspective. Yeah. Um, and because um, again, a lot of investors... Um, so here's a great little anecdote about, again, what happens in the Valley with these companies. So, you know, we raised all this money and we had this amazing COO who uh, was a, one of the first hundred employees at Amazon and mm. just a phenomenal, I learned so much from, um, uh, I, I learned just so much from him and, um, he, we got this call from Google and Google was like, Hey, you know, you guys are growing really fast and we were using AdWords a bit and they knew we were spending a ton of money on Facebook every month. And they were, they were like whining and dining me cause I was in control of our, of our budget. And mm-hmm. they, uh, every time I'd come down to San Francisco, they'd, you know, Hey, you know, let's get a tour of Google and let's do this. And like, oh, cause really, you're in charge of the ad spend. Yeah. Like they're, they're working yeah, me, yeah, right. Yeah. Trying to get me to spend more yeah. money. And then yeah. we had this meeting and we invited Brian into the meeting 
and like just put on a clinic for how to like run a meeting. And after he left, he was like, okay, um, <laughs> sorry, Brian, if you don't want me to, but he's like, they're either, they're either trying to suck us or fuck us. And he's like, this is what we would do at Amazon all the time. So he's like, they see that we're, we're doing something good and they have a, like a money, they have like a wallet product as well. Google has Google wallet, right? Mm -hmm. And we were essentially trying to create a wallet slash bank. If you want to like, that's mm -hmm. really what tilt the end game was. So he's like, they're, they want access to our information <laughs> so that they can evaluate if we're, if we're competition mm. or if, um, so if we're competition, they're going to fuck us. So, um, but if they if they really think we have something and they're not really interested in it, then they're going to like suck up to us to try to um, get us to pick Google over Facebook. And mm -hmm. he determined after some talking that they were probably trying to fuck us. So we ended up not working with with Google and we ended up working with Facebook instead. So like yeah. there's all these kind of weird like things that you, you know, everyone's trying to get a piece of you because you're valued at such a high uh, a high valuation. Um, but I, I just find it, I find it even just cre like this is even the fact that they have these analysts doing due, due diligence. But the fact is like when you are giving your numbers, it could, so many things could be different. Like how you're calculating your, oh, your, yeah. you know, your, your MAU or DAU, how, how you're calculating like what, what, um, like your LTV, like, I don't know. There's so many, well, look at, so many look at, variables. Look at, like, are, look are at these, these high-quality users? Are you just buying buying these users? Yeah. Like, you oh, know? Look at Theranos, that yeah, that blood startup. Oh, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. They raised over a billion dollars, right? I think over yeah. a billion or like close to it. And it was all, they were faking most of their data. And they were That's very crazy. good at faking their data. And uh, believe me, we, I mean, obviously the thought always crosses your mind, but... <laughs> No, I mean, you. if you get caught or even a hint that you're not being honest, mm -hmm. um, you're, you're toast and you're toast in the industry. I mean, they just say, oh, hey, by the way, that James Bashara guy, he's cooking his, his MAUs, like his monthly active users. And then th you'll never get a meeting with any investor. Your company's basically toast. So there's no wow. incentive to cheat mm. unless you are Theranos and think that you can do it better than everybody else or kind of like the Lance Armstrong kind of, if yeah, you're the yeah, best yeah, at yeah, cheating, yeah, yeah. then maybe it's yeah. worth your while for a little bit, but eventually yeah. the truth will come out, you know? So the, but, and these, and this is all they do. Like all these people do every day is look at, it's the same way Warren Buffett can look at a P and L profit and loss statement of a company mm -hmm. and decide mm -hmm. if he's going to invest. They look at, yeah. They just say, give me these 50 numbers. Just give me these 50 numbers. And then they have a model that says, yes, uh, mm -hmm. we think that there's a probability of this. So we're going to put in this much money, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and sometimes, you know, like, oh, go ahead. I, but, I, but, but I guess in some ways, like every company, you'll, you'll kind of do that. Like obviously, Sago, we're part of Spin Master. We're, part, we're kind of like a public company now. And, you know, they'll... Like Spin Master will do this, obviously the same thing. They'll look at our kind of numbers and see how we're doing, and that'll be a general health of, um, you know, of 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 Sago. But I guess the difference, though, to me is just the the stakes feel like they're just higher in 
a startup environment. It feels like it's make or break. Like when you well, when your your valuation is shifting so much, like day to day, and that no, growth see, number I, matters no, so much. I don't, I don't think know. so. I because I think it's much worse when you're a public company because um, we had a lot of people at Tilt who came from Rackspace. We hired a lot of our engineers from mm. from Rackspace, and okay. they went public. Um, a couple of years before most of them, a lot of them came to our team because Caleb, our CTO, was from Rackspace. And mm. um, they said that it became so distracting after they went public where, you know, you literally you just walk by everyone's screen and, and they have the, the, the ticker on their <laughs> on their desktop. And yeah. um, so the mistakes are, the market punishes you very quickly for your mistakes. Whereas when you're a VC-backed company, there is no, like, this is the best thing. So one of my one of my mentors and someone I worked with at Tilt would say this all the time, and I still repeat it almost on a weekly basis at Hub and Now. Um, so you know, Tilt Mark Andreessen um, of Andreessen Horowitz was our, you know really the champion of the deal. So he 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 liked us. He liked James. That's why they invested. And um, and Tim would always say, Mark doesn't want his money back, like. Once mm. Mark gives you his money, he doesn't want that money back. He wants 20 times that money back or he doesn't want it back at all. Like, Yeah, but is, isn't that kind of crazy? But but that's so the game if, they play. Yeah, like, but, but th- if, like, if, that's if their I, game. If I, but if I invested like a million dollars and I expect that to be 20 million or nothing, um, you know, you need to you need to be constantly showing that kind of growth. No, you don't. Or, you need you need to make a hundred one million dollar bets and hope that one of your hundred turns into Dropbox, which is what happened for them, or mm. sorry, Airbnb. So Airbnb has made up for every single loss that Andreessen Horowitz mm. has ever made, twentyfold mm-hmm. because of how valuable yeah, Airbnb yeah, yeah. is. So like their game is, I'm going to make a hundred bets of a million dollars or twenty million dollars each. They have a two hundred billion dollar mm. fund or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you actually, the, the stakes are surprisingly, it's, it's all upside unless well, you have a founder who is personally invested in the company with cash or really, you know, who hurts the most in those kind of things are the angel investors. Like if you and I started this, like, let's say you and I said, we're going to beat Joe Rogan. We're going to get the best podcast in the world. Yeah. Um, and our parents each gave us 50,000 from their retirement fund. And yeah. then we raised $25 million and decided to go and become the biggest podcast in the world. And we blew it. The, the, the investors aren't really that upset. As long as we didn't like steal from them or make really stupid decisions, they know mm-hmm. that the market is the market. Maybe it was bad timing. Maybe it was bad luck. And mm-hmm. they're fine writing off $20 bucks. But our parents so, are going to really hurt losing that $50,000. Um, yeah. So... But then I, I guess so. I, I get I get why the, the VCs would be like you know they're just gonna place a lot of bets out of the casino. They're gonna they're 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 playing roulette and they're betting all the numbers. You know, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And exactly. one that's gonna or hit, they're betting right? thir- yeah twenty of the numbers instead of yeah twenty yeah. numbers. You're not gonna bet every number, but yeah. But as as a company though, like as as uh, one of the companies that is not Airbnb that didn't make it, you know, it it must be kind of shitty. Like, what isn't you you if you don't show your growth you're not going to get more funding no and if you don't get more funding do you just kind of fizzle out well like yeah yeah i mean every startup you know they talk about this concept of the runway right so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you you're 
you're trying to take off. You're trying to get to a fast enough speed that when you pull back on that throttle, you can mm-hmm. actually take off and sustain flight instead of crashing, yeah. right? This is the runway yeah. concept. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. every company has a finite runway. And unless you're making revenue, the runway doesn't magically get longer unless you raise more money. So mm-hmm. it's stressful only because... So, okay, like what, what stings me about Tilt is we could have done it. Like we had the right team. We had one of the smartest team I've ever worked with. We we really, I think we made mistakes that led to mm-hmm. us not fulfilling the, the maximum destiny. Selling to Airbnb is still a pretty damn good um, outcome. I mean, mm-hmm. James, a lot of people shit on him for, for failing. I say... Anybody who can sell a company to Airbnb, you get, you deserve any money you got from that, and a fucking big pat on the back. Like that is a. So why 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 is that considered a fail though? In well, because in because other he people's didn't. Eyes? Te- well, because he didn't. I mean. <coughs> oh, because so, he didn't twenty x. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, Airbnb took a twenty thousand dollar investment and have turned it into a thirty billion dollar, or what is it? Thirty billion or three billion? Hang on. Airbnb. I think it's thirty billion. Yeah, so they're valued at thirty billion. Um, wow. So, at, from a twenty thousand dollar initial seed investment, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's insane, and that's a black swan. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody could have mm-hmm. predicted it. And mm-hmm. in a way, it's lucky that Andreessen Horowitz made that early investment. That Y Combinator made that early investment. But mm-hmm. the. Um, the, the the stress comes from the the upside it's okay it's it's not stress it's like a um it's an anxiety more than anything else because anxiety is fear of the future so when you're anxious it's because you have a future state that you can visualize and your current state does not match the future state right, right. that's that's anxiety because then you're starting to worry about the next day or the next month. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like pain comes from a past experience not matching up with how you feel in the present, right? So it's a different it's a different feeling. It's this constant anxiety that somebody is working harder than me. There's another company out there that is staying up all night, you know, snorting Adderall, getting that extra line of code written, um, <laughs> making that one more call, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And that is the because there is a finite time to your your life. It's literally like you get this money and it's poisoning you. And you have to, you know, make a cure for yourself to inject yourself every now and then and then it keeps poisoning you. Mm-hmm. And it's that's where the stress comes in at a VC-backed company. And Hubba is no different now. I mean, we've raised a lot of money and now we're at that stage where it's shit or get off the pot. So you can, we have, you know, a very healthy amount of, of, of runway left and, and we're, mm-hmm. we're not anywhere near a, a panic mode, but you you have to assume that if you've been around for three or four years, mm-hmm. you know, how long is that going to last unless you can really start to show what you've been saying you're going to show. And, you know, we don't have to talk about in terms of Hubba, but in terms of like tilt, like I I assume that's kind of where you guys were because you you didn't go from, you didn't 
become a $30 billion company. So you were, I wouldn't say meandering, but um, I assume you guys are trying to find your, your, your footing in terms of like what is going to make us explode into this giant thing. Yeah, of course. So, so for the VC, if you're, if you're cash flow positive and you're making money, but you're not making 20 X money, what, what do they do? Are they going to just not give you, um, they're not going to back you anymore. Are they going to shut the, the ship down? Are they just going to let it run? What would, what, what, what would happen? Oh yeah. No, no. Like once you've taken that kind of cash, mm-hmm. if you just decide to like build a little lifestyle business, and like mm-hmm. you're making money and you're making 500 a million, 2 million, 5 million a year, that is not, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. I mean, they'll just shut you down. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that, well, again, I'm, I'm speaking of tilt because the, yeah. the, the deal was you're going to turn this money into 500 million or into a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the game that you're playing. Like it's not a, um, it's not a, hey, let's build a sustainable business. It's mm. let's build a rocket ship knowing full well that it's probably not going to work or it's going to explode on its way to the moon kind of a thing. Um, right. And which is kind of fucked up because what happens is it creates these weird incentive loops where yeah. you might see some really, let's call it like healthy growth, but yeah. it's it's really not healthy because it's not it's not what the what the business actually needs. So then you might have to dip into uh, different tactics that uh, that could put the healthy growth at risk. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the way you avoid this though is you only grow to meet your projected revenue. So, like the biggest mistake a company most VC back companies fail for a very single reason. They overhire. So they they think they're onto something. They have a little bit of product market fit, meaning they have found some people who are willing to pay mm-hmm. them or who are willing to do whatever they think they should be doing. Mm-hmm. And then they get delusions of grandeur. They hire 25, 30, 40 engineers and product and people and designers and, and salespeople. And then they they get into the you know the dip where they realize oh maybe we didn't really have this thing figured out, mm-hmm. but at that point they're now burning two three four million dollars a month just in salary because they hired mm. twenty five thirty very expensive people, mm-hmm. and then you start to look at your runway, and it's like this then you get into this horrifying feeling because you know exactly what you need to do, and I think this is where Elon Musk is truthfully when I read all this stuff with a little bit of lens of being on the inside of companies like this, he knows exactly what he needs to do to get himself out of this this problem. But he needs time and money to do it, and he just mm-hmm. might not get that time, and he might not get that money. And mm-hmm. he made a mistake in that he probably shouldn't have built this giant factory, or maybe he shouldn't have hired these 500 people, and his burn got too high, and he doesn't now have the time to take those learnings and pivot fast enough he's gonna run Mm. out of of runway and that's kind of like what happened at tilt where what we started seeing very clearly was that internationally we were a juggernaut we had 80 percent of queen students kingston like queens uh just you know a couple hours north of toronto Mm -hmm. um we had 80 percent of their students using tilt every week 80 percent of the student body was 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 using tilt 
Um, uh, Western was like 60%. Uh, what was the other one? Guelph was like, um, I think it was Guelph. Can't remember now. Anyway, um, we had schools in Australia and in the UK and in France where we were growing organically without even spending advertising dollars. And then in the US, we had this competitor called Venmo. And when mm. we did some, some, some comparisons, it's literally like Bing to Google. Venmo is so entrenched with college kids and young millennials that we were ak- we were akin to go- to Bing, and mm. we tried to show our our execs and our we tried to plead a case that maybe the U.S. is actually not where we should be spending our time. Even though that mm-hmm. sounds kind of crazy because it's the fucking U.S. and it's America and it's the biggest market and there are all these people who have phones and like all the stuff kind of lines up, but. In Canada, we have no Venmo. Australia mm. had no Venmo. The UK had no Venmo. We were the Venmo. It was like if mm. Google hadn't have allowed other countries, well, or like what happened in China with Baidu, like mm-hmm. by Google not entering hard into China for their ethical reasons, it allowed Baidu to become a global juggernaut um, yep. because of China's market, right? So yep. we were becoming the Venmo of other countries. And for whatever reason, we could not separate ourselves from the US and it was like pouring money into this black hole where for every dollar we were spending in other markets we were getting a, a much better return so in mm. hindsight or if i was running it i would have cut off the US operation and i would have focused internationally and i think we could have grown to a point where maybe we could have re-entered the US market um, but I, I i i do wonder a little bit like maybe the other markets weren't big enough Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that's the answer James would say. So if I had James yeah. on this podcast, which would actually be super interesting, I don't know if he would do that to kind of do like a retrospective of, um, but oh, for, for sure he would say that. And he's yeah. like, Kent, like, do you think I'm stupid? Obviously, we were growing. Like, I'm not an idiot. I saw the graphs, but yeah, we just wouldn't have gotten the growth that we needed by staying in those markets. And but, as much as and, you love to think that, that that's like crazy. That's, oh, yeah, that's crazy because like and, and, potentially you might not be 20x, but you could do like, say, I don't know, hypothetically, you're doing, say, $10 million a year in, in profit or something. Oh, sure. And it would sure. still be like, no, that's not enough. We got to we, we got to we got to pivot from this. And, and, you know, one of the biggest one of the saddest things of of um, those kinds of startups is. You and you really. This is where it kind of breaks people, and you have to be a certain mindset to to thrive, and then want to go jump in and do it again at another company, and not just mm-hmm. give up and like go work at IBM or something. Mm-hmm. Um, is you'll be putting up numbers that objectively are phenomenal numbers, like numbers that you should be proud of, that other companies and other teams would dream of getting your growth numbers, but they're just not good enough because they're not the numbers you need. So getting 5,000 people a day to download your app might sound great, and it's not that great. Um, Your projections say you need 25,000 people. So you're like, okay, fine. You go and do that. You're like, 25,000, done, I did it. Mm, Sorry, Mm -hmm. it's now six months later. Uh, Our projections say you need to be getting 75,000 people to be downloading the app. And you're just constantly jumping through these hoops and it's for me i love that shit i i I, it's like you're never done and Mm um and i'm actually curious for you because i look at um i look at 
uh, public companies like like take Apple. I mean, it's and again, obviously Apple knows what the fuck they're doing. But can you imagine? Here's this company who or, or, or Google. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to go on a rant about how Apple's better, or iPhone's better than Android. But like any of these tech giants, they yeah. literally do magic every year. They do the closest thing to magic every year. Our phones get faster and thinner, and they can have AIs that call restaurants, and they have cameras that are better than DSL. Like they do these magical, magical things every year. And if they don't keep up that magical pace, their stock just drops because, mm-hmm. like, it's not what you did last year. It's what have you done for me lately? Yeah, and that must be and- fucking exhausting. Like, how crazy is it that? Like, I don't know if you saw this thing about the iPhone 10. I think this is so funny. So last year, headline comes out, ooh, iPhone 10's not selling very well. Downgrade mm-hmm. Apple, downgrade Apple, right? They lose billions of dollars overnight because the iPhone 10's not selling well. Yeah. Two weeks yeah, yeah, ago, yeah. they released this yeah. news release. You know what? This is the best phone they've made. Everyone is so happy with it. They're not sure how many iPhone 11's they're going to sell because everyone's going to keep their 10's. Ooh, downgrade, downgrade, downgrade. Y- your phone's too good. It's too good. <laughs> like... What? Like that must yeah. and, and I mean they love it because they don't care. They're making so much money. But the the fickle frustration of what does success actually look like? And if you have a CEO who's obsessed with your, your stock price, it must create really weird incentives in your in your company. So like and again, I know there's a lot of stuff you can't I'm not asking you to talk about mm. spin and sego because you really you, you can't, but like is is there any truth to that? Like, have you felt any, um, so, like how, yeah. Yeah. So I guess at Sago, it's, it's different. Like I, if, if I was closer to like the spin, like I, I guess like executive team or something, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure and all those things, like these huge swings that happen, but you know, we're a little bit sheltered cause we're just, we're essentially like one of the brands of spin. Right. Um, so we just get to be, we have the, I guess, the luxury of just being really focused on, on, on Sago and making Sago as best as we, we can make it. Um, but I can totally see that. And I, I see that even for myself buying stocks and anything, like it's such an emotional game, right? Like I, I bought Twitter just because Donald Trump was all over Twitter. I'm like, okay, a lot of people are going to start using Twitter now. And obviously, it doesn't even have to be profitable. It doesn't. They don't have to be making money. It doesn't. Like tech companies don't operate like a regular company, right? It's not like a bank or something. Like, oh, okay, here you showed some profit. Okay, cool. The stock price goes up. It doesn't work like that in the tech game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then and this is another reason why you hear like Elon Musk trying to, um, you know, he wants to take Tesla private um, because of all these kind of weird fluctuations and swings that are happening, right? Because people are either bullish or the bearish on Tesla for different reasons could be someone just reported a picture of this um i don't know the 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 new three or something and then it's like oh this looks terrible so okay the stock price is going to drop and it's it's kind of crazy how like especially in the age of social media we're in now how something as simple as like a picture or an article will swing things so drastically and has nothing to do with actual profit or losses um but yeah, I I think for my situation, I, I think like we're like I'm 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 sheltered from that, so I don't feel that as much. Right. Um, but I'm sure a lot of people do kind of feel that at that spin, for sure. Well, yeah, and it's just a um, I mean, I think the dream must be to just 
make enough money to be private? Like I'm seeing all this stuff about Airbnb and, you know, I have friends there's from the tilt, mm-hmm. um, uh, from the tilt acquisition. And, um, I mean, I think that you, you know, there's, there's part of you that wants to go public cause you own shares now in this very profitable juggernaut mm-hmm. of a company. And overnight you're going to, you know, have life changing money or, or close to it. Um, but at the same time, if you could just, if you, if your salary just keeps going up every year and you keep getting a bonus every year and mm-hmm. you're not public, you have nobody to report to, you're, you're making hands over fist money. That almost feels like a better game than the public game. Um, where... I, I just, I just, yeah, no, no, for sure, man. I, I just find like the pub, like, and how you're describing the VC life, it just feels like, um, you're going to make a lot of maybe short-term decisions, right? You're not but, building something, you're not building a sustainable thing in some ways. But what's so funny, and I I, I, I don't know where I stand on, um, so I, I really love, you know, the the Jason Fried and David Hennemeyer Hansen uh, base camp. They've written a lot mm. of interesting management books, um, and they have a new one coming out, and um, there's a lot of, uh, I'm seeing a lot of activity on Twitter about it. And their whole shtick is to basically attack um, uh, VC-backed companies. So if you look at uh, at DHH on Twitter, and again, I, I literally, um, this guy is up there with the 10 most important humans in my life because he built mm-hmm. Ruby on Rails. I mm-hmm. learned Ruby on Rails, and it, it really changed my life. I mean, I would not have the life I have today if I hadn't have picked up a book on Ruby uh, 11 years ago. Like, I just, I, I know that for a fact. So I owe him a huge debt of gratitude. Um and but i their whole shtick is to basically go and tell these vc back companies that it doesn't have to be this way because they can point mm. to their company which has four day weeks um works very sustainably has makes hand over fist money and um is just not crazy like these vc back like they would look at tilt and me and be like you, you why, why did you do that why did you give two years of your life to that Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think it's, it's, it's just, it's easy to say that, but it's very hard to build a company that it, I think they're the out, they're the outlier or they're just so lucky that, um, but, but then I, I have another voice in my head that's like, but that's not true. There's thousands of, of lifestyle businesses that are making, you know, a million, two million, three million a year. The owners are taking five or six hundred thousand out of the business a year, um, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this. But if if I'm being honest with myself, if I'm starting a company, that sounds a lot better than yeah. Let's let's go try to become billionaires. Um, I would much rather have a a more sustainable, comfortable life as a millionaire than trying to become a billionaire yeah um no no i, I agree 100 percent. but i also wonder like like even like spin master we're not kind of prone as much to the fluctuations as like as as a tesla or a twitter or like even like an amazon is pretty fairly stable it's very stable now but like you know there's a lot of tech stocks out there which fluctuate a lot and 
you know, I wonder if that fluctuation in public companies is really something that is maybe more unique in tech companies. I wonder, I wonder why that is too. Maybe because they're not, most of them aren't profitable <laughs> and, and it's yeah. all based off potential, right? I, well, yeah. And I think again, it's this idea of you're, you're, you're working on borrowed time and borrowed money mm-hmm. and, um, you, but, but at the same time though, that money can allow you to do things that other people can't do like money is a superpower and mm-hmm. if you spend it properly typically on people if you spend if you spend the right money on getting the right people then because that, that's always going to be your biggest expense as a as a startup is is your, mm-hmm. your 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 team then you do have a superpower if you have more money and i mean even um even on a very small scale with able cells i look at it and i'm like I, I almost could justify raising money for this now and saying, because there are some problems I have that money would solve. So mm-hmm. if I had an injection right now of, you know, $500,000, let's say, I could buy in crazy bulk. I could mm-hmm. afford a special license, an import, a special importing and exporting license that I can't afford right now that would essentially reduce my duties to zero. Mm-hmm. I could uh, easily afford pick and pack. Um, and I could run a model that says that if I market this thing correctly and if I hit these metrics and if I do this and if I do that and if the world aligns and the US dollar mm-hmm. fluctuates like this, in five years, that 500000 investment will be worth $3 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's a plausible future. But mm-hmm. it's... I'm not going to do that. Um, but it's tempting when you have this tech company or like even take our conversation last week around someone comes to you with this idea of um, AI meets, um, you know, uh, uh, recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you can convince an investor, kind of like we were saying last week, that, look, this is going to be a thing. Okay. AI and investing is going to be a thing. Mark Andreessen yeah. has invested in ZipRecruiter, okay? Mm-hmm. So they're not going to invest in any other AI recruiting companies. Yeah, um, yeah. Sequoia has invested in Lever, and they're not going to invest in any other. And then you find the investor who hasn't yet invested in a AI-based recruiting tool, and you say, so, you know, um, you know, Mr. whatever, social capital, mm-hmm. what is your AI recruiting investment going to be? And now it becomes, and this is another whole aspect of the investing game in Silicon Valley, is it's a FOMO game. Like, the, <laughs> you can argue that the reason why Andreessen Horowitz invested in Tilt is because they looked at Sequoia, who had invested in, like, PayPal and Venmo, and, and they said, like, who's our Venmo going to be? Like, yeah. we can't invest in Venmo. They're gone already. We passed on that or we, we whatever. We didn't see the potential. But this tilt company, there's a 2% chance that they're going to be the next Venmo. So we may as well put a horse in the race and make yeah. sure it's well yeah, fed. Yeah. Like if we're going to buy the horse, we may as well give it the best food and the best lodgings and give it a ton of free time. And uh, you know what? If we have to put it down, then whatever. We, we, we put it down. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back to the, you know, so there's this really infamous fast company piece about tilt where they – they, someone on the team 
you know, told the reporter about these uh, weekends we would do in Tahoe. And we would do these team building weekends in Tahoe that were very um, much just like a, a party. We basically went to Tahoe and, and had a party for two days every year. Um, wow. And, but it was, a, it really was a team. Like I would form relationships at that, at Tahoe that I would then lean on throughout the entire year to, to make me more productive at work. I mean, I know it sounds mm-hmm. crazy, but really like you just, yeah. yeah, like you said, you're going to war together every day. You need to kind of let loose for 48 hours. Um, yeah. And so the, the piece basically said like, okay, look at, look at these guys, you know, I don't know how much these weekends cost, but let's put a number, let's say they cost, uh, I don't know, $20,000 or something like that. Maybe even more. I have no idea. Um, yeah, they probably shouldn't have spent their money on that. They should have been investing in this. And like I, when we first sold to Airbnb and we were all kind of bitter that the ride was over, you can start to think like that. Mm-hmm. But, but again, the truth is that the, that was a good use of the money in that that 50,000 is not going to make or break your, um, like, if, if you're worried about spending $50,000 anywhere in that kind of a company, you're, mm-hmm. you're already in trouble. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, you now I, I, I see the counter to that where if you just start making too many of those bad $50,000 decisions, that money adds up very quickly. And the biggest one is people. Like if you just hire too many people, you, so, yeah. I was actually curious about the hiring. Like, do you, like in a place like that, uh, at the pace you guys are growing, um, do you hire more generalists or specialists? It depends on your team. So on the dev team, we would be hiring specialists as as you get yeah. bigger. And yeah. then um, on the growth team, I always lean to hire uh, generalists because we had oh I don't know, like maybe three or four growth channels that we were mm-hmm. that we were leaning on, but we hadn't found the one that worked in all areas. Every country had mm-hmm. a bit of a different mix. So having someone who could easily understand paid ads versus search engine, like versus SEO versus well, cold calling it, it, but, versus um, but, but, referral but, but programs. It's almost, but it's almost like when you guys start up though, um, you know, like when a company is really small, you kind of want to get generalists, right? And as you kind of scale up, you kind of want to get people who sharpen the best pencil or, you know, make the best widget. And, but I, I, I wonder this a little bit because like when you guys are growing though and you guys are suddenly just exploding in growth and it's like your team suddenly goes from like five people to like 50 people in like a month, like that must be insane. Like how, how do you, oh, like and how, it, how you, you, yeah. you can't, you can't naturally progress that. Like how, you don't, you don't know like what you, how do you even know what you need? Like when you have to grow so fast. Well, yeah, and I mean, the the right answer is that you should only grow when you really need to. You just don't have the capacity to take on. Um, yeah. And we were pretty good on that, on the growth side of things. I mean, at one point, my boss had 15 direct reports. So it was pretty insane. And we were, oh, by the way, I'm not even talking about all the fun shit we had. So Tilt was a flat organization. So mm-hmm. we everybody got another book called Reinventing Organizations. You want a mm-hmm. real head spinner book? It's pretty fucking cool but 
it's all about this philosophy, kind of like what Valve software pioneered, mm. where um, there's no managers at Valve. Um, everybody is an individual contributor. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's all kind of done in a self-organizing kind of a way. Um, like literally there's no management, like there's no middle management at, at, at Valve. And we tried to build a culture like that at Tilt. Um, mm. We, yeah, we can, that's a whole other episode, but the, mm. the, the truth is that on the dev side, that's where you make the biggest mistake, I think, because there's always another project you could be doing always like right now, yeah. I, if I gave you 20 devs, you could think of something for each of those devs to do. Right. For sure. For sure. Um, but they're also the most expensive. So mm-hmm. the question is, sure, you can put them to work, but if they're not really adding core value, then you're now just spending, you know, two million bucks a month um, on uh, some some nice I can't like it, you know, like, and yeah, and then also like, are your are your team leads are they ready for that? Do they know how to manage a team of seven software engineers? Do your product people know how to design for a team of seven engineers? Um, like all those friction points start to come to a head. And again, I think another mistake that a lot of companies I've seen make in that kind of valley mentality is um, you don't hire seasoned people fast enough. Mm. You, you're all like a family, so you try to promote from within as much as possible. And you end up getting people doing a job that they just might not be qualified for. And mm. the difference is you just don't have the time to let them learn on the job. So yeah. if you look at Mark Zuckerberg, one of the things that he gets credited with as being a real management genius is his ability to evaluate managers. And he's always mm-hmm. had this ability where he didn't he didn't mind having tough conversations with his friends when they were 50 people saying, hey there you, you're a great developer, but you're a shitty manager. So mm-hmm. you can either stay here as a, as a developer, but you're not being a manager. Um, and a lot of founders can't have those hard conversations early on. And then Mm -hmm. you, you create this culture where your, your, your managers aren't necessarily the best, you know? Yeah. 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 And then it starts to kind of have repercussions down the line. Whereas if you, you know, do your best to go and hire who is the best product person we can find right now it's nick Shim out of toronto okay fuck nick is going to be really expensive and we're going to have to move his entire family to san francisco yep we're ready to do that we're going to pay him three hundred and fifty thousand a year we're going to give him one hundred and fifty thousand relocation bonus we're going to give him fifty thousand shares and um we're going to expect him to work 16 hours a day you know um are are we ready to do that well for nick yeah we're ready to do that i mean Mm. That is probably what more companies should be doing, um, but everybody wants to be Facebook. Everybody wants to be Airbnb, where the founders and the original team manage to actually hold on to the reins. And well, it's also it's also easier too, right? In some ways, because you you look from within, they understand the business, they understand the problems that you have, they understand the team. So in some ways, it looks it's more enticing. Um, and especially when the stakes are so high and you're like, well, 
we have like two years to return a 20x like 20x um, growth on the on the initial seed investment um you know like it's it's almost like you have like the, the stakes of the game are so high and the time the timelines are so short like if i'm gonna if i'm gonna go look for that that kent guy um it's gonna take me a long time to find this the, the this guy and to entice him to come over and all that stuff so yeah, yeah. You know? but but can you afford to can you i mean did you agree with that sentiment that you really you you can't afford to hire the wrong person yeah 100 percent um no, d- d- definitely, and I, I I think it's even like that at Sago now because we're we're hiring a lot of people, and I think we're at a, a, a size where it's like you, we, and their culture is really good, and everyone's like, um, everyone's solid, everyone's really friendly with each other, and but it's a it's a nice place, and I feel like you start injecting bad blood in it, it could disrupt that whole whole ship, and so I think it's important obviously to hire the right people, um, and you want the people who are going to level up the team as well oh for, yeah for sure and and i think that um the the another fun thing about those kind of fast companies is you you just can't really have an ego because mm-hmm. you stand out like a sore thumb again because there's just there you're, you're just you're operating on borrowed time and that's the stressful piece of it and it's mm-hmm. also the exciting piece of it where you um it's it's like a you know it's a game the buzzer is ticking yeah. down and you've got to you got to you got to figure it out um but i and, and by love in like in in the valley it's just it feels like it's a lot of just hired guns it feels like people are there there's like it's like like dev like i said they're very expensive so people kind of go in they go to someone's startup they make a bit of money maybe it doesn't work out they jump to the next one oh yeah yeah um which well, is, and which like, is kind of crazy too. Yeah, I mean, like this is crazy, but there's a famous story of um, uh, uh, at Tilt. I think I might have told this on the podcast, but so when you first come into Tilt, uh, one of the first things you would see, you'd kind of walk up a little flight of stairs, and we had this nice little cafe area right as you come as you came in, and you'd see our 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 snacks, the snack wall, and mm. two fridges like with you know clear glass, and there was a deliberate there was thought that went into what drinks are there and mm. what snacks are on the wall and it was all for recruiting uh, developers mm. and there were stories of developers coming in to San Francisco office being like well i was at twitter today and they have herba mate on tap um what do you guys have on tap? Oh, you have kombucha on tap. Mmm, interesting. Taking their notes. Oh, Tilt has a kombucha tap. Now, how many beer flavors do you have on tap? Oh, you have two on tap. Uber has six. Um, and there's there was such a war of talent, and there still probably is, that yeah. that shit actually, for some reason, makes a difference to people. And as much as you might hate it, it's like don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah. James was not happy that he had to buy this expensive coconut water, but he did it so that if there was a developer that he really wanted and that was the one prima donna rider in their contract, he was able to satisfy that, you know? 
Um, yeah. Now, you can say that that was a bad... You shouldn't play those games. You should be like, no, we have water. You know, we only want people who are committed to drinking water. Um, but uh, that's just not the reality down there. It, devs can literally walk across the street and make fifteen or twenty thousand dollars extra. Which is, um, which is, which is that that just kind of feeds this feed, feeds the beast, really. Um, I remember, I remember going to the Slack office in SF, and they have like an espresso bar with a barista like that's yeah like they hired yeah someone there all the time there yeah just to serve espressos to people (laughs) i'm like that is crazy my favorite line was uh we had this developer who was just out of school super smart one of the original like an og react developer like really Mm. understood react and redux and um way before it was cool and so he was very important to us on the front end and I remember being there. This is maybe like my third or fourth trip down there. And I'm just in total awe of like the food and like the sun is coming in. And I'm sipping my coconut water and I got my kombucha in one hand and my coconut water in the other. And I've got a quest bar in my pocket. And and I'm just like, man, how did I luck into this? I'm so lucky. Like, look at this bounty that is before me. I'm not religious, but man, I, I, I'll consider it. Um and this guy I hear behind me, oh man, organic tacos again. Because <laughs> that's the, like that's what was for lunch, and I yeah. was just like, wow, like you are twenty three years old, and the biggest problem you have is the organic tacos <laughs> at work. Like, man, like what what kind of world? This isn't real life. This is not real. This is not yeah. how real people live, and. Yeah. I think that what happened, and we've talked about this over time, is the allure allure of San Francisco, at least for me, wore off. Probably because my family wasn't there when I was down there, and um, I wasn't going home to my family, and uh, you know that kind of bummed me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, just the there, there, there definitely is not all. There is a sense of. bubbly entitlement that does not exist in Toronto. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, it's it's starting to come into Toronto, I would say, but it's not it's not here yet. So let me let me um we should we should wrap this up, but I want to I want to ask you I guess one last question which is like what's how how is like life at Hubba different than life at Tilt in terms of like I guess like you you're oh, both obviously VC backed companies, but yep. I imagine a great, different. Simple quick yeah. answer for this, yeah. Yeah. So we're it's it's just not excessive is the best way to put it. Like okay. you know, we have we have an espresso machine. Uh and we have Nespresso capsules, but we get them refilled every three weeks or something. But if they mm. run out after two weeks, we wait a week until they come in, you know? Like mm. Um, I know that sounds like a stupid thing, but it's a very crucial, like, we believe in in making things comfortable, but not too comfortable. And right. that I love. Like, when I was interviewing and they're like, oh, so we don't do lunches. I was like, yes. Like, you don't need to do lunches. You don't need to feed me every day. That's, that is an unnecessary feature of a business. And I would mm-hmm. much rather take that money and put it to work acquiring new buyers. So okay, but is it is that is that a consequence of almost, um, you know, I don't know if you guys are backed by Andreessen Horowitz or whoever, but 
is do, like does VC probably dictates the terms of the game? No, no, so, no, no. Because our CEO is also in his forties, so okay, he's just been around. Our whole executive team has been around. They they raised money more on their terms in that um, they um, like. Ben has a clear vision of the kind of business he wants to build. And if that means that his growth will be stunted or he'll have to take a down round or he'll have to, he's not phased by that because he's not kind of bought into this whole cult of CEO. I think that the biggest difference is there is no, uh, Tilt was essentially a cult in the best way possible. Um, In that we all had a common belief. We had undying faith in our fearless leader and um we probably had a distorted view of reality right mm-hmm. um hubba is very similar but we don't have any kind of hero worship um of of our ceo and we um were we're, we're encouraged to have a life outside of hubba whereas right. at tilt the idea was to make your just bring everything into tilt. So, like if I had have lived in San Francisco, I would have been. I mean, Christina and Jack probably would have been at the office every night because, like, our friends would have been. Like, oh, here's a good example. At tilt, your friends were the people you worked with. At Hubba, yeah, yeah, everyone has their own yeah. group of friends. Like, yeah. we hang out every once in a while as a group, but we all have different friends. Whereas at yeah. tilt, there's a, a very clear no we're all friends and but 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 that must be a consequence of the terms of the money that you're getting no i think it's just the culture of this it's the culture it's the it's the no, no, culture it's, that the ceo it, it, it is but then it's also like the ceo would have to negotiate the terms that allows that kind of lifestyle i don't think so you know no I, mean? I think that like okay once once the investor likes you and believes in your business enough to give you money they don't yeah. really tell you what to do. Like they're not. No, no, but, not... but but if if but I assume with the money, like so, if you're like a Sequoia company, they might they want a twenty x thing, right? So sure, they might want twenty x, but they're gonna say we want twenty x in five years, three years, four on whatever that timeline might be. So and that kind of dictates your your runway. But when they're going to your CEO at Hubba. Um, and they negotiate these terms, your CEO might be like, no, you know what, that that I don't want the money if that those are the terms because maybe, that's going to force but, us but to I, make certain decisions, right? But I would argue, I'll bet you that, that mm-hmm. Hubba is more similar to Tilt than I might because I don't know what the terms are. I don't have that kind of insight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I just think it's the way, you know, our CEO has two kids and he's in his early 40s. So mm-hmm. that just... It, it all kind of starts from the top. Like he, um, he doesn't want. He wants Hubba to be successful, and he works to make it successful. But he also kind of knows that there's a world outside of Hubba, and um, he sets that culture accordingly. He could easily run us and create us into a, a cult if he thought mm-hmm. that would increase our ability to twenty x. I think he's made the decision that it's actually better if Kent can leave at 4.30 or 5 and then go do a few mm-hmm. hours at night. That's actually a better culture fit for him. So, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I really think yep. it's just it's, it's the decisions that the CEO sets and it's the tone that they set. Um, and um, 
like I'm trying to think of other, I can't, uh, there's a few people, I don't necessarily want to call anybody out, but there are mm-hmm. definitely companies in Toronto that I would say are more Silicon Valley. Hubba is very un-Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas others I can think of are definitely more like Silicon Valley. And right. I think it has a direct relationship to the experience and age of the CEO. It would be my, mm-hmm. if I had to create a heuristic, it's like, oh, how old is your CEO? Oh, yeah. Okay. Have they ever done this before? Have they sold a company? They have? Okay. That makes sense. That's why you yeah. guys... Okay, I, I get it. Oh no, they're they're twenty two. Okay, yeah, I, I get it. They're let me guess. You you play frisbee. You do stretches together. You have a theme song, and there's a special clap you do after each meeting. Yeah, yeah. How old you CEO? Twenty four. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So did did, uh, did you guys have a theme song until? We didn't, but we had a clap, a special <laughs> clap that we did after every town hall. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. I, I, literally do, remember, do, do the, I, I literally remember. I literally remember walking into a a conversation where so we had theme music during our town halls that would cue in at different times, mm-hmm. and I will never forget. And James, if you ever listen to this, I know you'll just love it because you were so shameless about it. He's like, guys, guys, we gotta. This is how we talk too. We gotta make this feel more like a fucking cult, okay? When we're done, I want that music to kick in. I want us to be like, woo! I want us to be clapping. Like, I want this to feel like Tony Robbins. And we're like, all right, all right, let's do it. Let's let's uh, let's let's cult it up. <laughs> so our our expression would always be like, whenever we were hosting a party, uh, all right, let's just cult this thing up. Like, let's literally have Kool Aid. Um, let's all wear the exact same shirt and the same kind of pants. Let's um, like, let's really just cult this thing up. That's amazing. That was so fun. And you know what? Really, like, I look back and I'm like, I'm so happy that I had that experience. I worked with amazing people. It was so much fun. We, I pushed myself and got pushed by, you know, great leaders. And like, there's no, I mean, some people had some pretty hard feelings, I think. And man, just remember that luck question. Just so lucky to even have the shot, right? So, um, so I, uh, let, let me let me just ask you that one last question, I guess. So, that luck question that you guys do—are you essentially looking for optimists or pessimists? You're looking like, for, are, is that what you're trying to weed out? Like, what are no, you trying to weed out then? You're look, you're you're trying to weed out um, ego. So okay. you're looking for humble humbleness. You're looking for people who say, "Wow, you know, I think I'm really lucky because um, you're looking for someone who attributes their success." Oh, by the way. I had 16 Mm. interviews for Tilt. So James is always the last interview. He interviewed everybody, always Mm. interviewed everybody. So now you've gone through 16 interviews. And truthfully, depending on how you answer this question, I later found out you would get vetoed out even after maybe a four-week, five-week interview process. Mm. Um, And he's looking for what they were, what we were looking for was, are you the kind of person who is going to need recognition or are you just going to do what's right for the company? And if you if no one ever finds out, um, like we had this great culture mm-hmm. of like it was kind of like the the broken windows idea where you know you can like clean up a neighborhood by just fixing the broken windows. So we would we we very rarely publicly acknowledged people. It was just expected that you were doing stuff. So like if the coffee filters were out. 
you would just go to the store and like buy more coffee filters and you wouldn't tell anybody and you wouldn't expense it. You would just do that. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And it was like these little things like that where you're not above, you know, going and buying coffee filters if there's no coffee filters or um, you know that there are smarter people in Silicon Valley than you or, mm-hmm. you know, you're. it's not because you're a genius that you got this job. It's because you probably had a few lucky breaks. Um, yeah. And, uh, mm. and, and, and I think that's just the, the people that I worked with when I look back, there was just very little ego. Um, and maybe we, I, had... I, 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 I like that question, man. I'm going to start using that. That's a good how, one. How lucky, how lucky are you from a scale of one to 10? Okay. Okay. Um, cool dude. I, I, I think this was, this was great. I hope so. I feel like I talk too much in this one. I'm always I'm always nervous. Okay, do you know what I do when I'm editing our podcasts? Yeah, what what? I randomly jump to a to a spot. Mm-hmm. I randomly just jump and sure enough it's me talking. And then I yeah, always but, get nervous that I just talk too much. But I but I feel like in this one, like I'm kind of interviewing you. Yeah, but is that interesting? I just worry that it's not interesting. I don't know. I just get self conscious well, when I feel like I talk too much. We we can do another one where you're interviewing me, okay? And then uh, I'm sure the tables will turn. But I I don't know. I think this is interesting. I I think it's like uh, I think a lot of people watch Silicon Valley the the show. I think people, um, you know, a lot of people know of people who are in the startup world, but not a lot of people actually go through the actual SF uh, Valley kind of ringer. And, and so I think are, it'll be interesting. And Silicon Valley the show. If you don't watch it and you're in tech. You really should watch it, especially the first three seasons. Um, the last season, I don't know. It's kind of weird. But um, mm. but man, it is it is much closer to reality than I would care to admit. <laughs> Which is wild. <laughs> um, well, dude, that was good. And, well, cool. and hopefully, listener number three, hopefully we answered your question well. I will let you know that we tried to, and you can tell us uh, whether or not uh, you did. And Davin, I'm very sad that we do not have I Am Listener number 5 shirts yet. You clearly are not as much of a super fan of this show as I thought you were. So I know. He, to he told me. We're, we're actually talking about the show uh, today, but uh, he was like, he never he didn't bring it up. So I don't I, know. I, I, yeah, just, I, think, I don't think anyone actually makes it this far. I think we're just talking to just the two of us right now. I don't think anyone makes it, it this far. You know what? I wish Fireside told you that kind of stat, like when know, the fall off was. I know, I know, I know. Like, just be like YouTube ready. Come on. I know. Come on, come Fireside. On. Come on, Dan Benjamin. Yeah, step, step your up. game up, man. Come on. Fucking Ruby on Rails app. Come on. <laughs> are you going to... Um, are you going to do that? Choose one. Choose one. Hey, bring it back. Bring it back. Now double your money and make it stack. I'm on